0: Miracy.
1: It was clear to me that starting my business with the intention of normalizing women as leaders in the technical fields, I could have a huge impact potentially on the world. And so that's what I did. Hello, I'm Katie Valentine, and
0: you're listening to Soul Savvy Business. I'm a soul-minded spiritual entrepreneur, Christian minister, and a New Testament scholar, but don't let that scare you. I support all paths to the divine. I use tools like chakras, dreams, and intuition to get there. On this podcast, we explore the intersection of business and spirituality. What do I mean by that? Too often, we separate our business selves from our spiritual selves. But in doing that, we don't leverage the full potential of either one. This series aims to help you fall in love with your own soul so that you can live your most fulfilling and successful life. On today's episode, I'll be talking with an engineer and business strategist who helps technical women get career clarity and influence so that they can confidently move forward in their careers without changing who they are. But first, In every episode, I offer a tip around abundance and your spiritual journey. Today's tip is about not worrying about other people's money. This is really just a good business tip in general, especially when you're pricing yourself. And women entrepreneurs, I'm looking at you especially. When you're setting your rates or having a sales call, are you worried about setting your rates too high? If so, I have news for you. You're essentially being a busybody being worried about other people's wallets. Don't worry about other people's money. This is easier said than done. But essentially, abundance loves it when we trust our clients to manage their own money without lowering our rates to accommodate their imaginary needs. This is not saying to be a jerk, to take advantage of people, or to gouge during times of crisis. It is saying that if you tell abundance you're not worth much, abundance will respond. And if you tell Abundance that you are worthwhile, guess what? Abundance will hang around. My guest today is Stephanie Slocum. In addition to being an engineer and a business strategist, she's also a best-selling author and a keynote speaker. Welcome to the show, Stephanie.
1: I'm excited to be here, Katie.
0: I'm excited that you're excited and that you're here, and I think maybe you're the first guest in STEM. And so this is a whole new world for me, and I know our listeners are going to be excited. I'm curious, did anything resonate with you on the tip of getting out of other people's wallets?
1: Absolutely. I almost started laughing just because of how much it resonated, this idea (laughs) that other people's money, other people's opinions are really none of my business. I know I have been working a ton on myself on money mindset because I didn't even recognize how much I was trying to look to other people and, you know, initially set fees by consensus in my own business when I first started.
0: Oh, set fees by consensus. That that resonates with me. I think I probably did that too. Well, Stephanie, how would you describe whatever you consider to be the divine? What word or words do
1: you use for that in your journey right now? honestly, it depends on who I'm talking to. And so let me let me preface this. So I work with a lot of technical people and we have the whole gamut of people who are Christians, Muslims, Jewish, atheists, everywhere in between. And so often when I'm speaking publicly about this, I will say things like, well, the universe had to hit me on the head a couple of times before I actually did what I was supposed to be doing. And if I'm, you know, talking to you or somewhere in a community where, you know, we are talking about God, uh, I will use God. I've found through my own journey as a woman in a technical field and through life that meeting people where they are is really important. And I find that I don't want people to tune out my message because they have decided based on the words I'm using that, well, this person you know doesn't resonate with me because she's talking about god in her speeches on you know self advocacy in the workplace at the same time this is deeply a part of of who i am
0: uh, yeah absolutely i love that you can speak in ways that people can hear and that doesn't feel like it's trying to convert them or anything like that when you're talking about spirituality what about when you're alone? What are the words that maybe come to you when you're thinking about or talking to the divine
1: on your own? Yeah, I would say I use God and Lord often. Like If I'm, if, if I'm in prayer, those tend to be the words I use. And I will say my number one prayer tends to be around abundance. I was raised in a religious household and and as I was growing up, so I went to kind of a religious Catholic parochial school all the way up through high school. And through that experience, you know, some good, some bad, my major takeaway was that God and the Lord is pure and religion in some cases has kind of spoiled the pureness of that. And so I always try and go back to the pureness of the fact that I feel like I was put here to do good in the world. And that is my goal with my business. That's the biggest reason I started my business was to have that impact. And am I you know, putting myself in a quiet enough space where I can listen to what I am supposed to be doing, where I'm supposed to be going, or am I just kind of running the rat race per se? So I always try and pull myself back into that speaking to the Lord, speaking to God, also just putting myself out in nature. I find that kind of the best place for me to be either walking or just sitting in silence. So I have that space to make sure that what I'm doing in the world is in alignment with the spiritual part of me.
0: That is beautiful. You mentioned just a little bit about your religious, your spiritual upbringing. Can you tell us just
1: a bit more? It sounds like you grew up going to a Catholic school. I did. So I come from a large Catholic family in that I am the oldest of eight. And so very tight-knit, close family. We have engineers and architects in the family. So I was fortunate enough to go to the school that my grandfather actually designed, like the building of. He was an architect. And then through high school, uh, again, Catholic, I was confirmed. And what's interesting about this is, so I was raised in this Catholic household. However, my dad was Catholic and my mom was, I think, Lutheran at the time they were going to get married. And in that time frame, you had to like get a dispensation if you were getting two people marrying outside of the Catholic church mixed marriages at the time. Yeah. And I'm like, (laughs) it's mind boggling to me now. And it was mind boggling to me when I first heard this story, because I I don't, I didn't get it. Um, But I see that because there was always this, you know, we learn these things about Catholicism at school, and then we would come home and it was, you know, things that I was not courageous enough to question about, why do we do it this way? Uh, I could question at home. I would say I was brought up to question, and that's another thing that kind of builds itself into my business now. Most people can't go more than a minute talking to me before I ask a question. And so (laughs) that questioning and that searching for where is that alignment, that's one of my favorite things I do in my business now with helping people is I had to go on that quest for myself about. You know, understanding what is the spiritual piece of this? What is my spirituality? What are my beliefs about the world and where I show up? And how can I find a long-term career or business that aligns with those values? That has been a critically important thread to me every part of my career, including the 15 years that I worked for someone else before I started my own entrepreneurial journey.
0: At some point, since I've gotten to know you a little bit, I know we were on probably on some Zoom session together, and I'm sure I was talking about my metaphysical stuff. And you made a comment like, oh, that would have been nice when I was growing up. And then you mentioned that you're on the board of your church now. And my ears perked up because, you know, when I was pastoring, we always loved a great board member. And I thought <laughs> Stephanie would be a fantastic board member. Oh my gosh, someone in STEM who's bright and also nice on a board of a church. That sounds lovely. So tell us a little bit about where you (laughs) ended up after that Catholic upbringing.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, so full disclosure, I was on the board. I'm not currently on the board. I finished out my elected cycle. So I came up with a Catholic upbringing. I went to college, got my engineering degree. I actually met my husband in college, And he had been raised in uh, the Methodist faith. And so simply due to proximity, because there, there was not a Catholic church within walking distance of where I went to college, there was a Methodist church right across the street. We're like, okay, well, let's go check this out. Let's see what this is about. And so we went there. And I remember sitting there and listening to the sermon and thinking to myself how very different this was compared to maybe sermons i had heard in the past first of all there was a female minister and that was mind-boggling Ooh. to me <laughs> yeah and like that was kind of the first time i had been like okay well maybe i as a woman can be more involved in a church a religious aspect of this and the other piece of this for me was just how very inclusive this particular uh, church was and i can't you know speak for Churches everywhere, but I can say this one, we were very kind of open to different types of people, LGBTQ folks. Like There was this kind of welcoming arms around you kind of a feeling. And so we moved away. We eventually moved back to the town where I went to college, um, and we started going back to that church. And we just, we got involved. And so it will surprise no listener when I say that I eventually found myself asked and then elected to serve on the finance committee with my numbers background. <laughs> um, That's great. And that, I did that for a couple of years and tried to help out the best I could with that. And then we had three children. And so my uh, participation kind of diverted to more focus on the children's aspect of that.
0: I love that you were guided to this place that could open up more questions for you, especially being the curious person that you are. And sometimes I think a good question is much better than a good answer. Absolutely. Yeah. And this place was able to offer you better questions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you mentioned that your spirituality is an important part of who you are. I'm just wondering if maybe you can say a little more about that.
1: Yeah. So... When I was working in the corporate world, I always felt like there was this kind of misalignment. And for a while, I thought it was, well, I have particular gifts or strengths that are just being underutilized. And what I eventually came to realize was that a lot of it was just that I had kind of parked the business Stephanie at work, and I had tried to separate the spiritual Stephanie uh, especially anything around intuition at home, and so there was this misalignment in that. Like I literally had tried to take the spiritual part of me; it didn't feel like it belonged at work, and so I tried to separate those two. And it wasn't until I, you know, eventually started this business that I kind of brought those two things back together. And so, like today, it's so much a part of who I am that, like. Values alignment from a client perspective, for example, like working with ethical clients is so important to me that I have turned down clients if it seems like we just we just don't align in what we're after in the world. Um, I am very impact driven. I am very like I, I see the good in people and I believe that every single person has a unique skill, gift and talent. And it is part of my honor and privilege to help them unlock what that is for themselves. And sometimes I've found that there's a mismatch in that values alignment and when that happens, I'm able to stand firm in like this is who I am, this is what I believe, this is not a this is a mismatch and I will say no trusting that abundance will come to me somehow some way. I've done a lot of I guess forgiveness work on myself, on other people to get to this place of, okay, you know what? I'm going to let God, the universe, the spirit kind of guide me and learn to trust my intuition again. That's been a really big part of my journey as a business owner is learning to trust my intuition, learning to trust the quiet voice that knows where you should be going, but sometimes we just don't give it the space to listen to it.
0: I'm so excited that you're you've been able to integrate all these different parts of you especially as someone in the sciences because the the caricature of the sciences is that they're antithetical to spirituality but that's not been actually my experience when I speak with people and people like you who are able to do this integration so beautifully.
1: Yeah, it's interesting you say that and I think part of this is I had this modeled. Both my parents have science degrees and so there was never this idea put in my head growing up that science and god and spirituality are, you know, not compatible because I saw that they were compatible from a very young age. Now, I will say I've gotten into some very interesting discussions over the years uh, with friends of different religious backgrounds, and I've come to realize that part of this is, you know, the way I was brought up through, you know, looking at the Bible, how much do you take of that as, you know, this is verbatim exactly what was happening, versus this is the spirit of you know, how you should act, how you should behave. And I fall into the second category. So I don't tend to go down the rabbit hole of, well, could creation happen in seven days? And, you know, scientifically go through this, trying to align those things. I am much more about how do you take the lessons and apply them in a way that you can do good in the world?
0: And it sounds like you had quite a few years where it wasn't integrated in the way you wanted it to be. So you have a definite compare and contrast. <laughs> Absolutely. So the science part of you can analyze your your journey here in, <laughs> in a healthy way. <laughs>
1: right. And the science part of me can also say, there are things that cannot be explained by science. Yeah. Uh, and I also think that became even more clear to me when I had children. Um, I will say, you know, everyone has these life moments where you say, You experience that wonder. You experience that joy. And I've experienced enough of those moments that can't necessarily be explained by science as we know it now that I realize the universe is large and infinite and we don't know everything. And that's okay. That's what makes life and our spiritual journey and our life journey so interesting and quite the adventure.
0: Oh, yes, absolutely. I can resonate with that. And I love it also when science confirms what spirituality has been teaching for a long time, when we see the positive effects of meditation or of prayer, and we can confirm that with science. It's nice when those align and they don't have to explain each other completely, but they can be on parallel tracks. Uh,
1: precisely. I've, uh, a lot of my work has taken me into the realm of neuroscience. And so I realized the first, for example, the first time I learned about meditation, because I didn't learn about meditation until I was an adult. I recognized almost immediately that meditation and prayer have very similar outcomes and they're they're similar in how you do them as well and then when I tagged on the neuroscience behind it as to how beneficial that is for people and relationships it was like this huge aha That why are we trying to pull the spiritual out of business when, in fact, we really need to pull it in if we are the kind of people who are all about building relationships? And I firmly believe that is what a business is, is building relationships. And that's what life is.
0: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And that's how you make your impact, which I love. Well, you alluded to this earlier, and uh, we talked a little bit earlier about getting our noses out of other people's wallets, which I had to learn how to do as well. But I'm just curious how your spirituality may have played any kind of role in how you think about money.
1: So for most of my life, I don't think my spirituality had a huge effect on how I was thinking about money. But the way I was brought up in the religion piece of this did. And let me unpack that. So phrases like money is the root of all evil. uh, Seeing arguments over like scarcity things you know not having enough money participating in a lot of fundraising events coming up through kind of religious schools uh, not out of a sense of abundance but more out of a sense of obligation and again that scarcity aspect it wasn't actually until I became an adult that I realized how much I had like ingrained all of those money mindsets things to think that, you know, you had to work really, 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 really hard all the time, or you weren't worthy of more money that played into, you know, whether or not I asked for a raise in some of my jobs. And this all came to a head when I started my business, because I was the person that was like giving away my coaching services for free. And so it was at that point, or a little bit before that I started really digging this stuff up and realizing that, wait a minute. Some of these money mindsets were coming from organized religion. They weren't really coming from God. And I had to go back and unpack some of that stuff and say, okay, these beliefs, who do they belong to? They don't belong to me. God wants us to be abundant. He wants us to step into our potential and do the most good we can do in the world. And so I This is an ongoing thing for me that I'm still working on this and still constantly like it is a daily practice for me to say uh, money affirmations and journal about, huh, I just had this call and I was talking about my prices and I clammed up a little bit like I, I have to go continually unpack that. Um, But what I found is focusing back on the spiritual aspect of it instead of kind of the cultural religious piece of this that often focuses on scarcity has been a, a key piece for me to be able to start to step into my own understanding of abundance.
0: That's amazing. And I can say with some experience having served churches, both as volunteer and uh, as clergy, that many churches are wrapped up in scarcity mindset and just organized religion in general. And that's really not a knock at organized religion. I see how it happens because they're operating often on very shoestring budgets. They're doing immense service in the world that most people never see. They're feeding people, they are housing people, and then they just see the lack of cash. But yeah, that kind of resting away from that scarcity mindset is really tricky. And I know I've had to do it, too. So thank you for sharing that and for doing the hard spiritual work there, too. Yeah,
1: And it's hard because there's so much in the world. I feel like for me, this was a bit compounded by my experience in the workforce as well, because as a technical professional, I am doing my job well if I'm working within constraints, if I'm working within time and budget. Uh, if I'm meeting deadlines, that compounded, I think, looking at the world with a scarcity mindset. But if I had to pick like the one thing that working on it has caused my business to take off, it's working on moving towards that place of abundance where you're not looking at, okay, when's the next shoe gonna drop? It's looking at from this place of things will come If I just trust God, trust the universe, trust whatever your name is uh, for, you know, that higher being, if I just trust and let go of having control and I still need to do the work, but stopping thinking in that scarcity mindset I found has made, it's made my business grow, but it's also made it grow with more ease and less stress. And I'm a lot happier than I was as well, which I'm sure contributes to my business growing as well.
0: Oh, absolutely. And it's amazing how many times I've had to be very intentional and how many times I've just kind of said to my, my team out there, my spiritual team, hey, you guys got this, right? Okay. And then I'll let it go. And it's amazing where abundance comes in that month that I completely wasn't expecting. And it's when I'm not holding such tight control of it, it flows a lot more easily. So I'm fascinated by the work that's being done in STEM in general to build confidence of women and girls in the sciences and in technical arenas. And I'm so aware of the research that says, you know, around the age of 11, 12, 13, many girls stop being interested in math and science. They're socialized not to be. Can you tell us a little bit about your business, how it started, and why it's so important to focus on women and girls
1: in the sciences? Yeah, I would love to. So my business got started because I hit a point in my own career where I was looking around for resources. I had hit basically some sort of wall, or I'm not going to call it a glass ceiling. It was more of a wall in that I had been Relatively successful on paper in my career. And I was trying to figure out what was next. I felt like when I was speaking about things, I was struggling to get my ideas heard and out there in the world. Because after all, when you go to any sort of technical school, you're not typically taught to be able to speak up or advocate for yourself. You're generally taught that just focus on the technical stuff and get really, really good at that technical stuff. So I put a lot of what I had learned the hard way over the years and what I had been mentoring people on into a book, predominantly because I couldn't find those resources for myself. And then I published that book. It took me about a year to write, and I was working for someone else. I self-published it, and six months after that, I resigned from my engineering job to jump into this full-time. When I came to that decision, my question in my head was, Where can I have the most impact in the world moving forward? That was the reason I became an engineer. It was the reason I accepted job offers at any company I ever accepted a job offer at. I was looking for places that were doing people helping projects. So for me, that was building hospitals or laboratories or schools or things like that. And when I got to this point where I'm like, okay, I published this book. I don't know where this is going to be going. The abundance is not here yet what do I do? It was clear to me that starting my business with the intention of normalizing women as leaders in the technical fields, I could have a huge impact potentially on the world. And so that's what I did. Um, And so today, I do a lot of work with individuals. I do a lot of work with organizations who are committed to gender equity. Uh, Both in helping them map out career paths and growth paths and make sure we're creating systems and structures that help women stay. And what's interesting is I found a lot of my work actually benefits everybody in the company, not just the women. I think what most people don't realize is the dropout rate of women is excruciatingly high. 40% of engineers, of women engineers, people that graduate with engineering degrees, for example, drop out or never enter the field. One in four women leave after age 30, and only one in 10 men do the same. Again, I'm going to speak specifically to engineers right now. And so that's not a we're not interested problem. That's a we have a system that is broken that we can fix. And so that's a lot of the work. I do today is help the organizations, but then also coach individual women as well. Um, When it comes to getting girls interested in STEM, so I have three daughters right now, two are in middle school, and I have one in elementary school. And it was funny, one of my oldest preschool teachers, so this was when she was four or five years old. I remember walking into her preschool class, introducing myself to her preschool teacher. And when we got talking about what we did, both my husband and I are engineers, and she's like, well, I'm glad there are people in the world that are good at math because math is really hard. And my oldest child is standing there and I, I thought to myself in that moment, I'm like, whoa, we are giving these messages out to kids very, very early that you know, math is hard, science is hard. Most of the stuff that made me really good as an engineer have very little to do with science and math and has everything to do with communication, leadership, public speaking, being able to talk to clients in their own language. And so I think some of it is just about busting some of these stereotypes around if math and science isn't your best subject in school, well, that means you can't be an engineer or a scientist or a technologist because let me tell you this, Nearly every field at this point is touching technology in some way. You can go to school for art and you will be touching technology in some way in your career. I think busting that stereotype is critical to seeing more interest from girls in STEM. But again, I actually think that the place to solve this first is in the retention numbers because Those women have already demonstrated a huge interest. They've invested a lot of time and effort and energy getting those skills. And so we need to start there. Um, One example of why is that you may not know this, but I believe it was up until 2010 where they were not required to use women crash test dummies in cars. As a result, the mortality rate of women in car accidents was much, much higher because there tend to be smaller bodies uh, than for men. And I can, I mean, even now I can go to examples related to AI and race, for example, uh, of self driving cars in terms of what they see, facial recognition, all of those. Like all of our kind of unconscious societal biases are getting baked into AI. And so I see this as a, a moral imperative, to be blunt, to make sure we have more women, more diversity in the technical fields.
0: Stephanie's words resonate so strongly with me. In fact, I have quoted her several times since we recorded this episode because her words moral imperative have struck a chord with me. We know that when we empower women and girls, we empower the world, and there's no better place to do that than in the sciences right now. Stephanie's whole approach to science and women in STEM aligns so much with me and my understanding of Jesus' own message of inclusion in the Christian scriptures. Jesus, of course, was not talking about women in STEM, but on the other hand, could he have been? Or at least can we apply His actions and His words to our context today? The New Testament speaks strongly about the inclusion of women and creating a just and diverse world that includes all genders and all races. In Luke 13, 18, we hear a very familiar saying about the mustard seed. What is the kingdom of God like, and to what should I compare it? It's like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in the garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nest in its branches." This parable is usually quoted as a moral parable about instruction of faith and how deep our faith should be. But to me, the most interesting part of the parable are the birds of the air that make nests in the branches. And interestingly, a mustard seed doesn't grow a tree, it is a weed. And in fact, I think this parable calls us to be in the weeds, literally and that in those weeds, there is room for all. And when we're in the weeds, we can make good trouble and promote things like women and STEM and greater inclusivity and equity in general in the world. We also know that women were part of the Jesus movement from the very beginning. They funded the Jesus movement. They were leaders and shakers. And unfortunately, after a generation or two, most of the women's leadership had become squashed or morphed but the original movement did begin as one of radical inclusion. I'm also very inspired about Jesus' willingness to change, and we see this demonstrated in a significant interaction that he has with a woman described as Syrophoenician in the Gospel of Mark. Syrophoenician means she wasn't Jewish and she was not part of the usual crowds that maybe Jesus hung around most of the time. This woman begs Jesus to cast a demon out of her daughter. Jesus said something that is pretty harsh. Let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. No matter how you slice it, this statement is a serious insult. But the Syrophoenician woman gives as good as she gets. Sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. This woman participates in a verbal sparring match that was very common in the ancient world, but not one that women usually participated in. And she matches Jesus' insult word for word. And in fact, she changes his mind. After this, he says to her, For saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. I was curious if Stephanie herself was inspired by any of these ideas of inclusion and what in general led her to value inclusion and equity so deeply as a woman in STEM.
1: Oh, it's completely in alignment with me. Inclusion is one of my biggest values from as long as I can remember. I have always been the person that kind of looks around and says, okay, like, is everyone being included? I will also say, like, fairness is a big value of mine that aligns with all of this as well, in terms of making sure that everybody gets a fair shot, that everyone gets the opportunity to step into their potential, to step into who they need to be in the world.
0: Popular wisdom tells us that religion and sciences don't always go hand in hand. Has your spirituality had any impact on your business or vice versa?
1: Spirituality has impacted my business tremendously from the standpoint of the values of my business and the values of me are not separate. So I think for me the spirituality more shows up in the things I value in the world, the ways I show up and the messages I'm sharing rather than the explicit discussion of God and, you know, higher powers. But I would certainly say that my business and the work I'm doing in the world, it's all about impact. It's all about helping people make a difference in the world. And that means that every single day that spirituality is coming into my work.
0: That is so inspiring to me. And it resonates so strongly with how I understand the Jesus message to be, which is not about converting people to beliefs, but about acting in alignment and acting in justice, which is what I I see you doing and integrating into the world. And I want to encourage any women out there who might be like myself, I I definitely am a lay science person, I've never taken a lot of classes in it, but oh my gosh, I love quantum physics and I'll read anything that comes across my desk, I'll read about it. So even though I don't do it professionally, although I do teach a little bit about the theory of quantum physics from a very lay perspective, we can still be interested. And that's another way to foster, um, foster interest in the sciences and continuing to break those stereotypes. Um even if it's not at a professional level.
1: Absolutely. I want to hear what you've learned about quantum physics at some point, Katie.
0: Well, mostly really weird stuff happens at subatomic levels. And I get a little confused on uh, the names of all the different quarks and everything like that. But if something's coming out of a collider, I will read about it. But also the way I think about abundance is very influenced by kind of current studies on quantum physics that there is no time that the quantum world doesn't necessarily know if we're in the past, present, or future. So when I put something out there into the world at the quantum level, that's helping bring it into my awareness. So I'm not sure how much of this is science, how much is spirituality. Any of that could be busted at any moment, which would also make me happy because we're learning and growing. And feel free to give a rebuttal (laughs) on where I'm grossly mistaken.
1: Yeah. And so I will be very upfront on this. That is not an area that I have studied a ton, but you alluded to this idea that our minds and our bodies and time are not separate. And I see that as being a critical thing for especially the people with a science background, because we want to logic out everything. We want to find a logical reason for everything that exists. And for some of us, understanding that mind-body connection, whether it's through neuroscience, whether it's through quantum physics, really can actually give you the push towards understanding that there's a spiritual aspect to this that we do not understand, and that's okay. I once officiated a funeral
0: for a physicist who believed that every discovery made in science brought him closer to God. It was a joy to celebrate his life as someone who appreciated science and spirituality and saw a wonder in both of them. Stephanie has also expressed this sense of wonder and of mystery, and I appreciate it so much. And I also appreciate her listening to me talk about quantum physics, a topic that endlessly fascinates me, but it's really hard to wrap my mind around. For Stephanie, science is not opposed to her faith journey. And in fact, science and spirituality can go hand in hand. Perhaps when we can see science as poetry, our minds can begin to comprehend mystery. Most scientists I've read will say that they also don't understand quantum physics. We can observe the effects of science and we know that it's real, but it's very hard to grasp at a fundamental level. For instance, the idea of quantum entanglement That when two particles become entangled, they influence one another no matter how far apart they are, even light years or thousands of light years apart. When you take someone like Einstein, who is very important when we talk about quantum physics, but actually denied and didn't understand quantum entanglement, it's important to know that he did not believe in a traditional idea of God. He critiqued the idea of an omnipotent God or an afterlife that promises reward or punishment. Believe it or not, I'm with him on both of those critiques. But what Einstein did have was a sense of wonder about the mystery of the universe. This is a well-known quote from Einstein that I'm going to read in its entirety. The most beautiful thing we can experience is the mysterious. It is the source of all true art and science. He to whom this emotion is a stranger, who can no longer pause to wonder and stand wrapped in awe, is as good as dead. His eyes are closed. This insight into the mystery of life, coupled though it be with fear, has also given rise to religion. To know that what is impenetrable to us really exists, manifesting itself as the highest wisdom and the most radiant beauty, which our dull faculties can comprehend only in their most primitive forms. This knowledge, this feeling, is at the center of true religiousness. In this sense, and in this sense only, I belong to the ranks of devoutly religious men. Bringing this back to the women, Stephanie and the women whom she serves, and as a woman in STEM, I imagine there's always a lot of research, a lot to be curious about, and even more glass ceilings to break, Stephanie's moral imperative. We got back to the conversation about the work that Stephanie does, and I asked her about the brass tacks, but the spiritual concept of being in alignment.
1: So, being in alignment means that my work in the world aligns with my values. And that is something that early in my career, I didn't really think I needed. I hadn't realized just how important that was and that I would never completely feel that level of wonder and fulfillment in what I was doing at work, whatever that work was, until I came to a place where I could align my business and my own values about how I wanted to be in the world, how I wanted to show up and kind of mesh those two things together.
0: And these days, how does it feel for you when you're out of alignment?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Okay. Okay. So when I'm out of alignment, it usually initially starts as a little voice, a little tick of intuition saying, eh, something's not right. It definitely shows up in my body. It has taken me a while to recognize that because I thought for a long time that the spiritual and the mind-body were separate.
0: And what do you do now to get back into alignment when you
1: notice that coming up in your physical body? So a couple of things. Uh, First is. Go for a walk. That is my default. Get out in nature, go for a quick walk around the block, do that. Then, if I do that and I'm still feeling it, that tells me that there's something else that I need to uncover. You know, is there a belief I have about something that I need to release or forgive or something there? And it's at that point I will usually sit and go into prayer or meditation. But I find that that combination, getting out and moving in nature quietly, just walking in silence and then coming back and sitting in silence. If it doesn't bring me back into alignment immediately, it gives me a glimpse of what do I need to do next to bring me back into alignment.
0: Lovely. I love those practices and I use them very often myself too. So they, they resonate very strongly with me. Before we wrap up, Stephanie, do you have any advice you'd like to share with the listeners?
1: Yes. So to anyone that's listening, particularly if you are trying to figure out where to go from here, trust your intuition. Trust that little voice because that is the spiritual realm speaking to you. And perhaps I am speaking to the very kind of analytically minded folks, because this is something that I think was the primary cause of my misalignment, was discounting the spiritual, discounting the intuition in favor of the hustle culture that tells you to go, 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 and that sitting quietly and meditating and praying, well, that's not checking something off your to-do list. And so I encourage all the listeners, particularly if you're making a big decision, Give yourself the space to sit quietly and give that voice room to appear.
0: I second that 100%. Thank you so much. It is so great having you here.
1: What is the best way for people to find you? The best way for people to find me is either through my website, so engineersrising.com, or you can find me on LinkedIn. I am Stephanie Slocum, P-E. And of course, your book, She. Yes, She Engineers, you can find that linked on my website. Awesome, She Engineers, thank you.
0: I'm Katie Valentine, and you've been listening to Soul Savvy Business. Soul Savvy Business is part of the Miracy FM podcast network, which also includes such shows as Just Between Coaches and Once Upon a Business. This episode was produced by Cynthia Lamb. I wrote this episode with Cynthia. Cynthia. Melissa Deal assembled the episode. Danny Eaney is our executive producer and post-production was by Post Office Sound. To make sure you don't miss great episodes coming up on Soul Savvy Business, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you like the show, please give us a starred review. It is the best way to help us get these ideas to more people. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.